Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Obstacles to Awakening. In this episode... Eckhart talks about the ego and other factors that block us from deeper awareness. He explains why the ego loves opposition and thrives on feeling superior. He says being obsessed with the need to be right in a conversation is a perfect example because some may defend their position so fiercely they become completely unconscious. He says awakening is the only thing that can save us from our egos. Eckhart believes with practice, we discover a joyfulness in the depths of our being that has nothing to do with what's happening out there. One of the most unconscious things that you can be engaged in is to be obsessed in a conversation with the need to be right. And you don't know what's happening. Why, why is this emotional need to be right within very unconscious people results in physical violence? They're just discussing political thing and they get heated up more and more and then physical violence results. What for? Or driving in traffic, road rage. Completely insane, but the ego loves it. Imagine how what the food for your ego when you get get into a road rage. <gasps> you are so right, <laughs> and that person is so wrong. They're not even human anymore. This is <laughs> that's how wrong they are. They're not human. You might as well kill them because they're not human. <laughs> So you reduce people to, to mental figures, to mental abstractions, and you reduce yourself because you're so identified with the mental-emotional field that arises. You reduce yourself to a, to a mental abstraction. You be, this is the ego. It's crazy. One important thing, again, so I'm mentioning it because it may still occasionally arise in you even though you are awakening spiritually, you need to be able to recognize the ego when it arises in you. The ego, so the ego loves opposition. It attempts to emphasize the otherness of other human beings, to make the others really other, so that this is a mental concept. And you can find this phenomenon very powerfully on the internet, when people attack others through words, perhaps they wouldn't dare say that to their face, but on the internet, the internet is full of very angry egos attacking others and identifying with their mental positions. So you identify the mental position and if somebody else's mental position you can see as your enemy, it is the opposite mental position, that strengthens your egoic sense of self and the ego loves that. And now through the miracle of technology, you can amplify that through the, through the technology and your anger, you can send it out into the world and you can make everybody wrong except you. If you should discover that in, uh, when you look back about the last few years in your relationships and people that you have known, if uh, by some strange coincidence or chance you discover that you have always been and are always right in any discussion, the others are always wrong, isn't that strange? In every discussion, well, how is it possible that I'm always right and the others are always wrong? I must be superhuman. 
No, you have a big ego, that's all. <laughs> Another thing, I'll mention that because you might still find it arising in you from time to time. Uh, related to making wrong is complaining. It's a mind pattern that complains uselessly, not because something can be done about a situation, but complaining uselessly, either in your mind or out aloud. You can complain about what are the favorite complaints? Other people. Oh, that's, well, there's plenty of opportunity for complaining, you might have noticed. You can complain about people, what they did, what they didn't do, what they should have done but didn't, and all kinds of things. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. You can complain about what you're doing. You're doing it, but don't want to be doing it, but you're doing it. It shouldn't be. It's a very dysfunctional state to be in, but the ego, the ego loves it. It's, it strengthens it. So, and then you complain about a place where you are. Some people are never really want to be where they are. It's always very soon they find something wrong here. And you, the, oh, great, complain again. <laughs> and then you notice, if you look, what is, the, uh, what is the logic behind why complaining? Why does that strengthen the ego so much? Well, it does that because this egoic sense of self functions through seeking superiority. It needs to be superior to someone else. But even if you complain about a situation or place, you can still Feel yourself you are superior to this place that you are complaining about. In other words, whenever you complain about something or somebody or even some activity, you put yourself by implication into a position of moral superiority. So criticizing another human being by implication, you have made yourself morally superior because you are pronouncing judgment. So it's an egoic device, it's unconscious. It strengthens your false sense of self. And this is why the ego loves complaining. And a good spiritual practice I recommend is, especially if you can detect the complaining pattern in your mind, you know that it's been there or is there, uh, set aside, let's say, between one o'clock and two o'clock, I will see, I will let go of any complaint and I will just relinquish complaining. See if I can go through one hour of, of this today without any mental complaint. So, and that's a good spiritual practice. Now, what do you do when the moment the complaint pattern comes up in your mind, you become aware of it and because that's your spiritual practice and you say, okay, this is pointless, it is useless. Let's see if I can relinquish that. And then you let a thought comes and you let go. And this is it, but it requires some awareness in you. This only awareness can free you of the conditioned mind. And only awareness is the awakening out of out of the egoic consciousness. And so the awakening is the realization that yes, you have this form identity, yes. You have a past, but who you are is deeper than that. And that awareness comes, begins to come when you become aware of your, the voice in your head. And you take one step back, so to speak, within yourself. And then you become aware of certain patterns, things that you tend to think repeatedly, perhaps been thinking for years, certain thought patterns that 
form the basis for your sense of self. Certain stories that you repeat to yourself and others, things that you have done to people, things that you have suffered from people, things that you have achieved, things that you lost, all kinds of concepts. Now, the ego loves superiority, but of course, many egos find it very hard to get superiority because for superiority, you need to identify with something that is better than others. So there are quite a few millions of people in the world whose ego is struggling for superiority. Well, you can do it at home. You can do it with your wife or your children. There you can be the controlling one who is always right or the limited circle of your friends. But if you do too much there, you lose all your friends. Usually the ego looks for amplification through possessions, through a body that's better than other bodies. If you're lucky enough, your body looks stronger or better looking than other bodies than for a few decades, 20, 30, then begins to get doubtful. You can feel superior to other bodies, either stronger or more beautiful or better formed. So there's this body identification. There's, if you're lucky enough, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a great body, neither beautiful nor strong, so that was out for my ego. <laughs> uh, then my ego, you're struggling, how, I'm verbalizing something now that was implied or unconscious, the ego looks, where can I be superior? And then my family history, was I from an aristocratic? I could identify with that as a mental concept. My, my family going back to the year 1200 and my ancestors. No, I couldn't go beyond my grandfather. He didn't know who was his father, so there was nothing there. And then started possessions. No, I was poor. I have no money to buy anything. I, I could afford a bicycle, but not a car, so there wasn't much superiority, although then I began to see, that was in all in my 20s, beginning of finding superiority, not necessarily through possessions, but through enhancing a mental image. And my mental image was, I was becoming intellectual, so I identified with knowledge. That's, I knew more than others, and I will show you how knowledgeable I am by making clever remarks and quote obscure philosophers and literature. <laughs> and I, I carried my knowledge like somebody else would carry a, a designer dress or something, but that I would carry my knowledge in the same way. And then I was on my bicycle, and the BMW went past, zooming past me and almost, almost ran me over. And I could think, well, how superior I was to this materialistic, undoubtedly uneducated person in the BMW. <laughs> so I had a mental concept of myself, obviously, as superior. And you can have that, you have to be careful with that in spiritual terms, that you don't do that to other, where you develop a spiritual concept, who you are, you're spiritually advanced. Now you may be, you probably are, because otherwise you wouldn't be here. <laughs> but the danger is to live through a mental concept of who you are. That's a, a conceptual sense of self, a conceptual identity. Now, what would I have done if I at least I had my mind, and I, so I had a relatively developed mind, so I could have, could have a mental concept as a, a great intellectual. And so one day I would become a professor, I thought. Little did I know what was going to happen. But if I didn't have that, let's say I, you have neither possessions, nor family history, nor a good body, nor a good uh, sharp mind, nor non, not highly educated. How can I be superior? And all the, oh, yes, the ego will very quickly find one of the most powerful ways of being superior, and that is you become a victim. I am a victim. 
you can be a victim on a personal level because undoubtedly having been born into this world you must have met people who did bad things to you i did and of course i do not doubt that there were people who did very bad things to you that we cannot doubt it is also possible that there were people who did bad things to your group whatever collective you identify with no doubt this also has happened but to make that into a basis for your sense of self is a huge prison that you voluntarily enter but it amplifies the ego and immediately the moment you have a mental concept of yourself as a victim whether a collective victim or personal victim by implication you are morally superior to everybody else who is not a victim oh so the ego can be superior morally and you're still you're trapped in mental concepts it's so seductive the ego and so every time you whenever you you got seduced into that sense of identity it's never long before you encounter what the buddha called dukkha suffering ultimately in any egoic identity very soon you encounter unhappiness you encounter suffering you encounter a sense of lack of not enough you become angry and so the suffering is uh, cannot be separated from be, being li living on the surface level of reality only the surface of who you are i compare that with the surface of the ocean and every human being is a ripple and some are waves but it makes no difference if you're a big human being with vip your wave most humans are ripples this is the surface of the ocean and the ripple may not realize because it's so identified with its form identity that all it sees on the surface level is millions of other ripples some of which are threatening it compares itself it tries to be superior to as many ripples as it can but it's trapped in its ripple identity not realizing that it is a temporary manifestation very short-lived temporary manifestation of the ocean it, it, now imagine a ripple that never realizes that it is a temporary surface manifestation of this vast almost infinite being that is the ocean and it lives on the surface in a sense of insufficiency a very ultimately very frustrating kind of life in the surface eye never realizing the deep eye but i'm using i as the, the pronoun when you say i when you're on the surface only whenever you say i you refer to your story your life that is a mental a narrative and this is what people refer to when when they say i it's the surface i but there's the possibility of realizing a deeper i and i call that the deep i and that is and not related to who you are on the surface level on the surface level you could your life could be a huge success story or your life could be by the way no life is a huge success story for that long just doesn't trust or it could be a huge failure that's let's say your entire life is one bad decision after another and you end up in a prison cell let's im just imagine that so it your life could be that or it could be that the deep eye has nothing to do with that the deep eye is a timeless dimension of consciousness and the deep eye is encountered now you cannot encounter it and saying now i have it there it is the deep eye 
can never become an object in your consciousness. Everything else is an object in your consciousness. When you look at something, the sense perception is an object in your, it arises as an object. And then you look somewhere else, then another object arises and you listen to something and there's a sound, the sound becomes an object in consciousness. Or you have a thought, the thought is like a ripple movement, so to speak, on the surface of consciousness. These are thoughts and emotions are a little bit deeper, but they're still fairly close to the surface. They are wave movements on the surface of consciousness. And yet you, the essence of who you are, you are consciousness. You are not an object in consciousness, although when you li live through the ego, you make yourself into an object of your consciousness, like Narcissus, it started with him. He looked into the puddle, saw a reflection of himself, and then he lived with an object in his consciousness and said, I, that's me. <laughs> Amazing. But humans had to go through that. We had to go through this egoic consciousness, but now comes a point very soon, if not already, where we need to go beyond this very limited understanding of who we are. Because if we don't, the egoic consciousness becomes increasingly dangerous and even insane, especially if amplified by technology. If the dysfunction is amplified by technology, in the past it didn't matter, people you could only kill so many people with a sword or a club. But now amplified by technology, that state of consciousness is becoming a menace on the planet. So it's a danger to ourselves and to all life on the planet. The transition from egoic consciousness to deeper realization of the transcendent consciousness, which is one way of putting it, must happen now or very soon in a sufficient number of people, and then the world will reflect this changing consciousness. Whether this can happen without, without any regressive movement first, I do not know, because many developments, in, the consciousness develops slowly, but now more rapidly than before, but it never is just an upward movement. There's always a regression involved. Whenever there's a movement, you there's a step back and then it comes out it's a wave movement of consciousness it goes it is possible that we may enter a regressive period i don't know but it doesn't matter the important thing is there is already a growing awakening in a growing number of humans more than ever before still a minority but there is an awakening of this consciousness and now for the rest of the evening we need to go more deeply into this awakening transcendent consciousness we've looked at all the things that stand in the way all the things that are very seductive they seduce us away from that realization uh, it's very much when you are trapped in your mind it's a hypnotic state and in spiritual terms you are actually asleep when you are completely identified with every arising thought you are in a state of spiritual sleep you're dreaming a kind of dream it, it, the dream that you're dreaming is conditioned by your past so they be humans dream different kinds of dream if there's no awareness then you are in spiritual terms unconscious spiritual unconscious is very different from from conventional uh, unconscious. In conventional terms, when you're unconscious, obviously you are, you're knocked out, you go. <laughs> but in spiritual terms, when you're unconscious, you're completely identified with the stream of thinking plus the emotions that accompany the stream of thinking. That's unconscious. And then you're, you're not present, you're not here. You are, you're somewhere in your thought world and even if, if a person like that looks at you, they see you through the veil of their thoughts, their conditioned mind. They're not really seeing you. Not really. There's just, there's a huge sense of separation always. This becomes a huge 
veil through which you look at the world, which is your mind, your conditioned mind, and you look at yourself in the same way. You become a stranger to yourself, you become alienated from yourself, you become an object in your consciousness. This is a purely human thing. Other life forms don't have that because other, other, it's, it arises through thinking, which is a wonderful evolutionary step forward, a wonderful advance, and a grad but there was a huge price to pay for the development of the ability to think. There's always a price to pay. And the huge price to pay was loss of awareness of the essence of who you are. Now, what about all the life forms that haven't arrived at thinking yet? Well, the dog, the dog, your dog or somebody else's dog, everybody knows some dogs, a dog does not live through a mental concept. The dog has not arrived at the Narcissus thing, even if the dog might see himself in a, in a mirror, so either he begins to realize that it's a mirror or gets very excited, but it doesn't translate into a mental image of the dog has no mental image, has no, con no self-concept, it doesn't have a conceptual identity. The dog has no opinion about you, it has, there's a consciousness there, but it's not, it's not abstraction, it's not concept, it's not thinking, it just is and it looks at you and there's, there's no ego there except very few and they, there are some neurotic dogs that show the beginnings of an ego but the reason is they've lived with humans, a human neurotic ego for too long. <laughs> but otherwise it's a miracle how sane often the dog is compared to the owner of the dog. And, and how joyful the dog is, able to appreciate the present moment, how it, uh, it greets the owner even after an absence of half an hour as if it hadn't seen him for 10 years. <laughs> Such joy. Wow. He, he, doesn't, he hasn't created a lot of past in the mind. It's just, so the dog lived, exists prior to thinking. What's happening to us we are rising above thinking. That is a state of presence. So it's not that you no longer think after that. You transcend thinking, you're no longer in the grip of thinking. You're able to think, but you no longer look to thinking for your identity. You no longer look to a, sense, to a story in your mind and derive from it your sense of who you are. So if you are not the story, who are you? Ah, oh, well, you are not an object that arises in your consciousness. This is why when they asked Jesus, what, show us wh where is the kingdom of heaven? You talk about it all the time. Where, where is it? Show us where it is. And he says, the kingdom of heaven does not come with signs to be perceived. It does not come with signs to be perceived because it's already here. It's within and without. It's already here. It's already here. So the consciousness that you are is not something you need to attain because you are already it. It's not something that you can look for because the very act of looking, the consciousness that's looking for yourself is yourself. I'm looking for my true self. <laughs> or you can say, I'm looking for God. And you're expecting God to arise as an object in your consciousness. It would be very limited because any object that arises in your consciousness comes and goes. So can you become aware then, and here's the, the key, can you become aware that in addition to who you are as a person, and not so much in addition, but transcendent to who you are as a person, you are consciousness. Because this is the one thing that is beyond, beyond any doubt in your so-called life. I'm saying so-called because you don't have a life. You are life. 
You don't have it because we say, I have, a, I have a, my life. You separate, you say, me and my life. You are life and life is the essence of life is consciousness that manifests in various vibrational frequencies. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So even if we are dreaming this, perhaps this is your dream. Let's imagine for a moment that you sitting there listening to a man on a chair. Let's imagine for a moment that this is a dream. And if it is a dream, that still needs to be something about this dream that makes this dream possible. And that which makes this dream possible is the light of consciousness in which the dream appears. So the consciousness is prior to everything. The consciousness is the ocean. The thoughts and emotions, the surface of the ocean, they're not separate. So you are the ocean. What does that mean? You are consciousness in essence, which is timeless. How can I know that I'm consciousness? You cannot know it conceptually. You can only know it directly in the gap between two thoughts, for example, now. And now, in this now, let's just experiment with this now. You don't need to remember anything. What for? I mean, you don't anyway. You don't, unless I ask you right now, you don't think of your name, you don't think of your email address, you don't think of your telephone number or your entire past, unless I ask you and then you retrieve it from somewhere. But right now you don't need any of this. You don't need, let's see what happens to you if you don't remember anything from right now, just let's pretend the, all that exists is this moment and that nothing ever happened. Wow. All that exists is this moment, nothing ever happened and nothing ever will happen. And all that's left is this moment. And in this moment, you don't remember your story, you don't remember your name. And yet there is something here that you cannot define and what's left when you let go of past and future, which are thoughts, what is left is just a strange sense of presence. This is the undoubted fact that you are. And when you say it, you will say, I am. This you cannot doubt. Everything else may be some kind of illusion. When you add something, to this deep sense of beingness, because when you say I am, it's the sense of being. If you're not familiar with English grammar or you've forgotten about it, you might have forgotten that when you say I am, it's the first person singular of the verb to be. It's, it's, it sounds like totally different. Well, why don't you say I be, but you, for some reason you say I am. But I am is the sense of being the sense of being, the sense of, I don't call it the sense of existing, because existing is, existence comes out of being, X, X is Latin for out. So it stands out, which means anything that is manifested is existence. Your body exists for a while. Every object exists, sense perceptions exist 
Thoughts exist, they are manifested. But they can only exist because there's something that is formless, is a vast space that is the unconditioned consciousness prior to the arising of form. And you can sense it. This is the great, the great realization. You can sense it within yourself when for a moment you're not thinking, but you're not falling asleep. You're not thinking, and yet what remains in this gap between two thoughts is a sense of beingness. You undoubtedly know that you are, that can't question, that is the light of consciousness. You are that, it's not an object, it's the eternal subject within which everything else arises. So it's the most magnificent thing if you can become aware here and now, or anywhere, it's always here and now, become aware, to, we can put it like this now, another little signpost, you become aware that you are aware right now. You're aware that you are conscious, that's for sure. And to say that you are conscious is already a falsification. It's, it happens because we're using language. Language requires a subject and an object in a sentence structure. So even to say, I am conscious, creates already a duality between you and conscious, as if consciousness were an addition to you. It would actually be more accurate to say, I am consciousness. I am consciousness. And I am this consciousness. I use the analogy of the, the ripple and the ocean, that consciousness transcends totally who you are as a person with a personal identity, the form identity. It is totally transcendent, but it is not separate. It's you are the little thing that, that comes out of the totality, out of the vastness, the vastness of universal consciousness produces a little ripple, and the, the ripple signals, my name is so-and-so, and I was born so and such, and I've achieved this, and I failed at that. But, that, but that, that consciousness has come out of the universal consciousness. It is an aspect of the universal consciousness that is experiencing itself for a very short time period as a human being. A human being, I love that expression, which we have to use in the English language because the English language doesn't have a word that, that contains both man and woman. The German language has a word, mensch, which is both woman and man. One term for, combines men and women. English language doesn't have that. So you have to say human being. Even well, some people say, well, there's still the word man in the human, but let's forget about that. <laughs> you have a human being. You are a human being, meaning, this is how I interpret it. It's very, very helpful. The human is your form identity, who you are as this person. And the being is your essence identity, the transcendent dimension that connects you with the totality of all life, that you are connected with the totality of consciousness. That is the, in this analogy of ripple and ocean. The being is the ocean, the human is the ripple. So you are a human being and you need to live in the, the, both dimensions. If you lose yourself in the human dimension only, you are lost. This is why in some traditions you say you need salvation. You need to come, or Buddhas, you need to the, come to the end of suffering because if you live only as a human on the surface level of reality with your personal history and that unhappy story of me, you are lost. Basically, you are like a... Oh. What do I, where do I go now? What do I do now? And you're always never going there. Always, uh, uh, there it is. No, no, go this way. No. Here, the human and then the being. The being is consciousness itself. The being transcends. 
the human, but contains the human, like the ocean and the, the ripple. So you need to become, then invite the state of pure beingness or presence into your life as much as possible. And this is right now, for example, are you, are you aware that you are conscious right now? What could be more obvious and ultimately easy to realize that this beingness is the fundamental thing about you, is you are an expression of consciousness. And there's no concepts in it, it's only by relinquishing concepts can you realize that deeper essence. And then you can look at things, and this is a wonderful spiritual practice, perceive things by looking or listening or touching, whatever. You perceive things, develop the ability to perceive things without automatically mentally labeling them. Perceive, just look at a tree and let go of the label of what it is and look at it. And when you look at it, then there's in the background, there is an awareness, or we can call that awareness stillness. It's another signpost pointing to the same place or no place. There's a stillness, but you need an alert, certain alertness, otherwise you lose the stillness immediately to the momentum of the noisy mind. So there's an alert stillness, and in that alert stillness, you can look. I recommend first to do uh, natural things that don't stimulate thought so much. You can look at a flower, you can look at a tree, you can look at the sky, the vastness, the spaciousness of the sky, without labeling it. Just, now what happens? And you can do it here. You're sitting here, your sense perceptions, you see me, you hear the words, and you're also aware of the totality of this room. That's the, that's the surface level of this moment, is your sense perceptions. And undoubtedly, that's already a wonderful thing, if you can step out of the conceptualizing mind and become aware of sense perceptions. You could call that, come to your senses. In order to come to your senses, you have to step out of the stream of thinking, because otherwise the stream of thinking will absorb your entire consciousness. So you step out of the stream of thinking. It helps to feel the inner aliveness in your body, the inner body, as I call it. You've probably already practiced it or read about it in the books. The, to feel the aliveness that pervades the entire body, which is deeper than the physical body. There's an, an an energy that pervades every cell of the body. And this intelligence with an aspect of the one consciousness is the organizing principle behind all the functioning of the, the body. And you can sense that can provide an anchor for, for being present. And once you can feel the body, and look, you look around. You do it now as I speak about it. Feel the inner body, the aliveness, and then you look around and you will be able to look, and it's, it's a wonderful thing, you, be, you be, enjoy it so much, you'll be able to look around without needing to label it. If you need to label, it will be there, but not compulsively label or interpret everything. Just let it be, as the song goes, let it be as it is. Then you come into the awareness of being, you are. And it's a beautiful way of perceiving the world, when you're not in mentally interpreting it. That is the level of form. And then you become aware of yourself as the one who is perceiving, but not of yourself as the historical person, because if you were perceiving through the historical person, you would be labeling things mentally. No, you become aware of yourself as the underlying consciousness in which the perception happens, the light of consciousness in which the perception happens. So you're aware of two dimensions, the dimension of form and the dimension of formless consciousness, the kingdom of heaven. 
the, the, the dimension of spaciousness, the emptiness, the spaciousness, the essence of all life. And it's not yours, it's not anybody's, it's the one. And now, if you're thinking in terms of, well, how does that fit in with God? You haven't mentioned God. Well, that's true. I haven't mentioned God because the the term God has been misunderstood a lot over the millennia, not by everybody, but by most. God, you cannot, un obviously, you cannot understand God. It would be, it's just absurd to even make any statement because it's totally, I mean, language consists of just a few sounds. Just a few sounds that are made by the vocal cords and air pressure. So you have the vowels, A, E, I, O, U, A, O, O, U, and then you add a few air pressure sound. Are you expecting to understand the, the secret of the universe through the combination of a few just I mean, and you're asking God to explain God, but I'll carry on talking anyway. <laughs> One can only give a almost a poetic image or a, a, an analogy of what that is. God is the, the source of all life, the transcendent source of all life. It has no existence in space and time. It, it does not exist because exist means to be manifested. God is the, the source of all life that we perhaps can say. Now, we could compare that because we li live in this sense-perceived universe in our dimension. We could compare God to the, that the life-giving principle that we all share, which is the sun. And there's no, it's no coincidence that some many ancient cultures worshipped the sun, because obviously this, without the sun all life would immediately disappear. The very warmth in your body is ultimately derived from the sun calories. So the sun continuously emanates. Almost, one could almost say, yes, it has a lifespan, but relative to our lifespan, it's, it's eternal. So it's an analogy. The sun continuously emanates. It emanates, and what it emanates is it gives life. So in this analogy, God is, the, is like the sun, but it is tran the transcendent source of all, not inhabiting this dimension that we know, but it is, it emanates into this dimension and gradually creates this dimension, which is st still in the process of being created, the universe as we know it is being, still being created. The eternal source of all life emanates something into this world and that is consciousness. Consciousness is the light of God. And this, when you get, when you sense the, the essence of yourself as consciousness, then you are aware of the light of God in you. I do not recommend, however, that as some mystics have done in, in, in Christianity, in Sufism, in other traditions, they suddenly discovered that. And they were so overpowered that they actually said, I am God. I don't recommend that because people won't like it. And you don't need to say that. It's like the, the, ray, the ray of sunlight. If the ray of sunlight says, I am the sun, it's both true and not true. Yes, it is obviously still connected from the sun to the sun. It's inseparable from the sun, and yet it's not the sun. So it depends how you look at it. But the wonderful thing is, when you realize the essence of who you are, it goes far beyond the essence of who you are. 
because when you realize this, the essence of who you are, you're realizing the essence of the universe. And that seem, that is a miraculous thing. And so it's not, and ultimately there isn't you and the universe. It's a oneness. You and the universe are one. So when you realize something, the essence, this perceived universe is realizing something through you. When you awaken to this dimension, the universe is awakening to this dimension of itself. It's a miraculous thing. So it totally transcends who you are as a person completely. And yet that was the entry point. The entry point was the unhappy little person. The unhappy little person was like the seed and the seed became more and more unhappy as a seed. And when the seed became sufficiently unhappy, it started to break open. And then something else emerged out of this unhappy seed. So let's be grateful for the unhappiness that has brought us here and the frustrating person that you have lived with for many years because that was the seed for the awakening of consciousness and the suffering was the seed. And the universe continuously is evolving into greater awakening. And it evolves not through, and this is, uh, I hope you don't regard it as bad news, your comfort zone, which is a wonderful place to be from time to time, but your comfort zone is not the place where awakening happens. And perhaps you all know that because your comfort, if you were totally in your comfort zone, you would now be watching TV with a beer. <laughs> I feel so comfortable. <laughs> or you have another smoke. Very comfortable. But life doesn't allow, very soon challenges you again. And through the challenges, the deepening happens. And even here, as the awakening happens, through the challenges of life, the awakening deepens. And the challenges continue to come, but there's a difference. Before you are awakened, life's challenges, which are unavoidable, before you awaken, Life's challenges are transformed by the unawakened consciousness into unhappiness. And there's an underlying erroneous belief that life should not be challenging me. Why all these difficulties? Why does life throw one thing after another on my path to make my life, is life out or you might call it God, is God out to sabotage me? Is there some weird thing at work that just, why is it always me? Always things, things go wrong and then that happens and just solve a problem here, another one pops up there. That's how life, how evolution happens. The difference is you can now face a challenge and see, there it is. I accept this moment as it is, and then see if you can take any action, if it's necessary or not, or possible. Accept this moment as it is, is a very powerful portal into the transcendent state. I accept this moment as it is. Then, because you might as well, because it already is. I think it's much more wise to accept it than not. <laughs> the ego's very survival depends on non-acceptance of what is. It's antagonistic to what is and that strengthens the ego. When you accept this moment because it is this moment and it is already, then the portal opens up into a place of alert stillness. That's also where you contact the deeper intelligence and not just your conditioned mind. This is the intelligence of the one consciousness. So you enter, immediately you enter the transcendent. Just a simple practice. As I sometimes put it, make the present moment into your friend, not your enemy. 
that's already a very powerful spiritual practice. Become friendly with the present moment, no matter what form it takes, and immediately there's a deepening in you. And immediately you feel, in the depths of your being, you feel the deep eye in that alignment with the isness of things. So that's a very powerful spiritual practice. And then when the challenges come, they're no longer transformed into an unhappy me. No, you, the challenge comes and you look. And then you, another aspect of what we are here talking about is it activates a deeper, the deep eye as a deeper intelligence. And this deeper intelligence can deal with things in a much more intelligent way. Action arises, insight arises, intuitive realizations arise from this deeper, from the deep eye, the unconditioned consciousness. And wisdom arises. Wisdom is, intelligence itself is not enough to save us. I mean, we've developed intelligence in a, in a focused way through science, for example. It's just a focused application of conceptual intelligence is through science. And science, which is a focused application of intelligence, is not going to save us. Without wisdom, it will destroy us. With wisdom, fine, it will work. And wisdom can only arise to a human being who has some access to the deep eye. The, un the consciousness, the unconditioned. Now, one other thing that arises when you have access to that and you're rooted in the deep eye, able to use both dimensions, form identity and essence identity, able to have one foot in the form identity, one foot in essence identity, so to speak. And then you have a balanced, a balanced life. And then you don't get frustrated with the things of this world, because nothing lasts for that long. If you expect to, to be made happy by the things of this world, you condemn yourself to continuous frustration and suffering. So n the world is not here to make you happy. It, the world is here to make you conscious. And when you are conscious, you become, I wouldn't say happy because it's a somewhat superficial term, you be, there's, a, there's a joyousness in the depths of your being that has nothing to do with what's happening out there or not happening out there. There was a, I can't remember the exact, I'm not good at quoting, there's a French writer, the Camus, perhaps the most significant thing he ever wrote was, he said something like, in the depths of winter, I realized deep within myself an invincible summer. So what that was referring to was that dimension of depths. So it's an analogy. In the middle of winter, I realized within the depths of myself an invincible summer. That means this came out of a, perhaps wasn't a permanent realization in him, but in the moment that he wrote that, or he was writing about something, an experience. And it was the experience of the deep I, that is the invincible summer in you and that might be a good thing to have in the winter in Winnipeg <laughs> <laughs> thank you I'm Oprah Winfrey and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle Essential Teachings the podcast you can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts if you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. 
Miracle Grow is simply the best. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.